It's like it's the dark, um, dark work stoppage. That's right. Stop work. Stop workage. <laughs> yeah. Or strike. Right. Strike stoppage. Same, both. Yeah, it means the same both di- directions. It'd be strike. St- strike breakage. There we go. No, not that. No, that's the dark. That's the dark mirror universe oh, okay. uh, podcast. The, the Pinkerton podcast, where like, <laughs> yeah. where where everyone on the show has a like an evil goatee, and I'm clean shaven. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, funny. and except the uh, outro tagline that Lena always says is the same. <laughs> that's that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Just from the complete other. <laughs> perspective for sure exactly (laughs) i was watching speaking of that i was just like before we get going i was watching an episode of forgotten weapons the other day because i'm a huge nerd and i kept like it's not a it's not like look it's a it's a it's a gun youtube it doesn't exactly have the greatest politics of all time but ian the host it usually is like such a nerd about how the guns work that he's like, I don't want to talk about all this history and politics. I just want to talk about mechanisms and stuff. So usually it ends up. Well, that's better than the alternative. Right. Right. But, but then he did an episode specifically on this like run of Winchester 1894s, which are a lever action rifle Mm -hmm. that were specifically used by the army during world war one when they deployed units of like, I don't remember if it was the army reserve or like the national guard to the Pacific Northwest oh. to like b- basically break organizing by the IWW by having the national guard chop down trees for all the like airplane manufacturers that were using that wood to make. Cause this is like the early 20th century. So you still have wooden planes and they need like, right specific types of wood to make the wings out of because it needs to be really long and straight and all that shit. And he's going off about how even handed the army general was because he's like, well, yeah. So they were like, you know, using guns to break up the IWW's organizing campaign, but they let everybody who was involved have the eight hour day, which is one of the things the IWW was striking ah! over. So oh really, gosh. when you think about it, isn't that, you know, just as good? And I'm just like, no, man, oh. come on. That <laughs> pure ideology. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. that was, so that was, that was, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say they were used for the uh, Indian Wars, but those would have been over Oof. by 1894, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, earlier versions of that gun. Well, sure. No, they used the Winchester for, that, for other, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, <sighs> no, I mean, when you dig down into any piece of American technology's history, you can usually bring it back to genocide somewhere at some oh, point. Oh, well. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, I've learned this all too well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, studying history. What is it? The the American dream leaving my body as I read history. <laughs> yes, that's yes. <laughs> I love that meme because it's extremely true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of those they just keep resonating. Yeah, it's it's either that or like that wall of ideology that gets built up through years of schooling and indoctrination is just so strong that you start reading history and you just bounce off of it and completely miss the point. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. You hate to see it.
uh, work stoppage. Uh, you might not hear John this week. He's going to be taking the week off. And we have actually brought Ethan from Inventing the Future and Red Game Table, also Dan's other podcast, here on to do the show today just for fun. Because, you know, last time when Ethan was on, we had such a great time. We figured why not, uh, you know, do it again. I, I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm like- no, I'm like JPZ from the Mirror Universe. Like he's got he's got the long hair. I do not. Um, he has he's strictly anti-authoritarian. I am very authoritarian. Um, no. uh, That's right. That's funny. All right. Well, our first uh, our first story today is actually about uh, it's a follow up on the Warrior Met Coal Strike uh, that we've covered what now twice before this, oh. and now this is be or like it- fourth. Is it like I, five, I, five times? It's five it's the times? fourth or fifth time because this strike has been going on most of this year. Um, they went originally went on strike back in April, and the company has been bringing in scabs and you know using all sorts of underhanded tactics to deal with the strike, including as we'd reported in the past, literally attacking the picket lines that oh, yeah. these coal miners have the- been on. That was the um, the second time we had covered them, I think. Yeah, they at that point, right? And so, like, because there's obviously a lot of parallels, you know, between a lot of shit that we've seen happening at protests, where you'll see reactionaries driving their trucks through protests, trying to hit people, and we've seen plenty of videos. You can go on Twitter, like, and there's tons of videos of these attack. Like, of course, you know. The police will, won't characterize them that way. But obviously, you know, they're attempting to bust through the picket lines by hitting people with their trucks. And so, it, you know, and we don't even know if that's really because, like, the intent really could be to hit people on the picket sure. lines, not to get through the picket lines, but to hit people on the picket lines. Sure. Absolutely. But at a minimum, like, you know, regardless of whether their intent is to injure or their intent is just to, you know, break the 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 blockade by the striking workers there's you know all these videos of people being struck there have been people who have been hospitalized and so in addition to you know providing this evidence to the police but mm-hmm. they've also you know filed an unfair labor practice suit against warrior met because it appeared in 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 these various videos that the people driving these vehicles were either warrior met direct employees like management who weren't on strike or the scabs that they've been bringing in. And what this news story is this like the new issue that's yeah, come up this say, week. Like, so why are we bringing all of this information up? <laughs> right, right. Because obviously like that's not new. We've been talking about that, but so the NLRB, uh, friends of the show, uh, <laughs> you know, in- incredible voice for the workers that since since the most progressive president in in u.s history took office has just been fighting ceaselessly oh wait i'm reading from the mirror universe stuff again shit sorry uh (laughs) so much mirror universe content today (laughs) yeah no so the the news this week has come out that the nlrb has dismissed the unfair labor practice charges brought by the uh umwa miners at Warrior Met for, quote, insufficient evidence that any pickets were struck, unquote. And 
that's the part that is so egregious to me because like, I could totally see from a legalistic perspective them trying to do some bullshit about, well, you haven't proved that they're actually Warrior Med employees or right, yeah. you haven't proved like, who intent. was it in the vehicle or whatever. Yeah, and all that. That's, yeah, I, that, but that, that's, that's not the point. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like I'm watching the video right now. Like I'm, I literally am watching it as as you're describing this, as you're describing what they're saying, inefficient evidence. Like they didn't run anybody over, like knock them down, but like the car, the trucks hit, like touch people. Like they're yeah. clearly trying to get through. So like, I, what's 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 going on here? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Well, it could be that this uh, is a you know a right wing. Labor board. Uh, well, what? <laughs> Something like but that. it's a New Deal. Po- it's a New Deal program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and but... as we as we know, American socialism at its fullest extent is and was and always will be only the New Deal. That's right. No, so oh, so you you two can probably explain this to me because I'm not as up on this. Like, so I know that the I know that um, the president appoints uh, the chair of the board. Or do they appoint everybody on the board? They there's a bunch of different like parts to this because obviously the the president appoints and then has approved the secretary of labor who oversees all the operations of the NLRB and they have put okay. new like Democrats on the NLRB board. And I've seen a bunch of of major unions tweeting about how, you know, they think that that will help out. Historically Communist Party, the Democratic Party, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but to your point, though, that's the thing is they have replaced uh, some of Trump's appointees on the NLRB, which, of course, you know, did make an already relatively ineffectual agency even worse by putting the people on there who are like – Union shouldn't even exist. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we really need to convince our listeners too much of the fact that the Democrats are a right wing part. <laughs> Hold on party. a second. Like, I have like, been if, told if if, if 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 the Democrats put people on a board, they are people who will you know fulfill the interests of capital. They are a right wing party. So I, I don't think that there's that there's really uh, no. much much question there. Yeah. Well, yeah so, but- oh well. So I was just well. So like so clearly the. Um, Clearly, the NLRB. I mean, so I mean, I've heard recent. They've they've had a couple of like recent rulings that were not like terrible, as far as I can understand. So, like, what's what's their angle here? Like, what do you think? Yeah, they um, trying to set a precedent for like it's okay to run into people <laughs> with your truck if they're striking. Well, yeah. a lot of legislators are saying that. Like, well, I mean, I, I mean, I know that that's like a thing in like state legislatures all over the place. I'm just wondering, is is that what the fucking NLRB is trying to do now too? I guess. Christ. Yeah. Okay. I, in this specific case, I think it's. I don't it's, think that we have evidence that they're against it. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> that's the thing is the in this case, I I think it's it's partially kind of a covering your ass perspective where like. Because the NLRB, and again, this is this is speculation on my part. I don't have anything to back this up. So just to be clear, like I think probably from the more well-meaning, <laughs> theoretically members of the board, well, the issue they would have run into would have been okay. Because if like you sir saying you watched the video and it's obvious, you know, people were struck by the vehicles. Right. My guess is they were worried that it would be very difficult for them to prove who the driver was in order to find the company. 
and that because of that, they felt that it would be a better use of their time to just dismiss it and focus on other things. Again, that's yeah. but that's speculation. But also, sure. so I think that you know, if we really want a perspective on what a like a decent NLRB or or labor board person is, we can go back to that story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where this, uh, it was about the Colorado, um, like art, art, um, job postings having to have the the wage in it, and how right. this 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 board person was just like, and I don't understand why these companies want to sub to go against the law. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and he's like, and he's like, well, of course they're not allowed to do that, and he he does the right, he does the thing, and says like, oh, this is the law, but then he also is just like befuddled that it that there would be people who would not follow the law wait they can't do that that's illegal (laughs) yeah so obviously like i mean this rule that's the part that that bothers me the most about the ruling because like obviously the ruling should be yes these people have been attacked by cars and that's fucked up and you know fine the company a shitload of money or you know a little more than that but the the thing that's so frustrating specifically is is the the fact that they're saying there's insufficient evidence that anyone was struck and, yeah. and, and there's a good quote in here from the the president of the UNWA Cecil Roberts who said quote the NLRB is asking us to disbelieve our own eyes. Video of two of these assaults has been widely distributed by the media. I personally witnessed another one that occurred right in front of me. Additionally, we have testimony from eyewitnesses to two other assaults. This is an outrageous decision by NLRB Region 10, and we will fight it every step of the way. Yeah, and that's good. That's good. That's that's good. <laughs> actually, yeah, and so obviously that's another thing that plays into the politics of this is that like. There's the NLRB, like, overall board. There's the higher level of it, you know, in Washington. But then, like a lot of these agencies, there's regional boards. And and in the same, I imagine, although, again, I'm, I, I don't know the ins and outs of this. I'm sure folks who are a little more directly involved on the ground in these, you know, unfair labor practice filings with the NLRB who have had direct uh, experience with it would know better. But I have to imagine that the quality of those boards and, and how fair they are to labor is going to vary, you know, region to region based on who happens to make up the board, what various yeah, you know, interests got like them into that position. Boards yeah. Versus like Nash, the national board. I mean, I think this is a national board decision, but still. Yeah. And, and there was another quote in here, you know, Roberts continued where he, he said, quote, it appears that it is now open season on strikers walking the picket lines anywhere in NLRB Region 10. Management and scabs can target them with their vehicles, and our government refuses to protect them. We are forced to ask if there is no justice for workers in Alabama. No. And yeah. Well, actually, I, I, mean, I guess maybe it is a regional um, board. So yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing, I, I mean, I have to look it up, but I'm guessing NLRB Region 10 probably covers like most of the Deep South. But, um, yeah, they're based out of Atlanta. Um, Large, large area of the southeastern U.S. Yeah. So the thing with this story, though, that I think makes it especially interesting from a U.S. labor history perspective is the fact that this is happening to coal miners because Mm. of, of all of the parts of the U.S. labor industry, I don't know that coal miners are the part that I would want to go after with physical violence because, <laughs> I, I mean, we just had the 100th anniversary of Blair Mountain and, yeah. you know. Well, like, and also, you, like, remember, they're, they're, they're shirts. They're, like, camo. 
They're the they're the only like good looking camo shirt you can wear. Yeah, so uh, obviously we only advocate for completely legal uh, union organizing activities on this show, of course. Yeah. How? Yeah. But I just as a pure a speculation, I'm just Dan's saying, shaking I, like, his head no. <laughs> coal miners, you know, have been known to use some un shall we say unorthodox defensive tactics when when they've been pushed in that direction in the past, and so. If the NLRB isn't going to step up and at the very least issue some kind of ruling that's like, hey, stop hitting strikers with your fucking cars, yeah, then ridiculous. I, I mean, these workers are going to have to, you know, do what they have to do to, to make sure that the folks stay safe out there. Well, and I mean, that was all in, in reference to something that happened before the NLRB existed. So, right. Well, and it sounds like standard uh, picket equipment you got your signs you got like your water and snacks and then you need to bring some caltrops um, <laughs> yeah i mean they, like no, unironically yeah i mean we, we we've seen obviously during the protests last year we saw various tactics developed to deal with vehicle attacks i know in the past we've covered the folks on this strike line using vehicles as Blockade, oh, yeah. basically. Mm. Like, God, they have so many great stories. This it, whole thing is just a great saga. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would imagine that, that that sort of tactic of a, a defensively using a vehicle to protect people is something right. that's going to have to co- probably be, be expanded in, right. in the wake of this decision, which, as Roberts is absolutely right, because this sort of inaction by the board is only going to encourage this to happen more because if if the management thinks they there's no consequences for it why wouldn't they keep doing this if they think that they can do that to at the very you know keep bringing scabs in and keep their mind operating yeah yeah well defensive uh, driving i guess i guess on (laughs) on on that thought i think we can go to other attacks on workers which uh is actually in our international news segment for uh well i guess this is a follow-up with colombian workers i mean I, is this really a follow-up? I feel like this is kind of a news story because this is about a, it, a, like a actual protest that happened. Well, it's it's. I put it as a follow-up because it's it's the revival of the big protests that were going on in Colombia earlier this year, from April to June. But it is. It, I mean, it's a news story, so it's on the borderline yeah. of being a follow-up versus a news story, <laughs> and, that, and that's why it's in our notes in the transition between the follow-ups and the news stories. <laughs> I assumed it, I assumed it was a follow-up because we talked about this last time I was on. That's, oh, really? that's right. That's that's why I put it in there. Obviously, <laughs> Actually, I, 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 I remembered remember, that. But... So, <laughs> for sure, I'm glad that you uh, remember. But, <laughs> but no. So so this story there there isn't a, a ton here. Like it, it the protests uh, have restarted in Colombia that had been happening earlier in the year in response to a planned neoliberal like VAT tax that they were trying to put into place to deal with some of the budget shortfalls that the state was having due to COVID. And that was successfully blocked by the protests as well as an attempt to privatize Columbia's healthcare system, which was just, that was an incredible move to do that in the middle of COVID. (laughs) Um, But what brought these back out, because we, we talked about these protests a few times earlier in the year when they were happening, especially a lot of the very cool shit coming out of Columbia's National Strike Committee. And 
So the reason that they had stopped in the first place was that the government agreed to meet directly to sit down with the strike committee, hear their demands, try and formulate some legislative responses. And so they said, okay, while we're working with the government, we're going to stop the protests. Everybody then can go back to normal. And now after basically two and a half ish months of, of those talks, ultimately going nowhere, which the is exactly strike what committee we kind has, of expected. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the hardest thing in the I world to predict. We did, <laughs> we did kind of uh, frame it as a committee for to make a committee uh, at the time yeah. of first reporting it. <laughs> yeah, and and so what specifically has brought people back into the streets and brought the and prompted the strike committee to stop talks and and, and go back to protesting is a the fact that the UK government which is a one of the foremost puppet regimes of the United States um has clearly you know refused to actually try and implement any of the reforms proposed by the workers but additionally they're now putting forward a revised tax package that does raise taxes on corporations instead of on the, the people so that's something but it does that in exchange for slashing social spending. Mm. So that's how they that's how they get you. Yeah, no, that because it's it's very honestly when I was looking at it, I was like, this is very like this reminds me a lot of like the Clinton era because it's it's like the you know ending welfare as we know it while like pretending to be populist at the same time and then also creating a carceral state. Yeah, although. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we we definitely have helped Colombia along the way with that. I mean, their whole anti-riot squad was basically set up entirely by the United States with money from Plan Colombia designed by Joe Biden. But well, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, that, I mean, is, that is what I was alluding to. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, how much overlap between the current Colombian government and, like, uh, people who have been, who've been working with, the like, the DEA and the whole, like, how much overlap is there and or, or like publicly, because I'm sure there's oh. a lot secretly, but like, I mean, as as far as I can tell, Duque's government is all like Georgetown, like School of the Americas ghouls. <laughs> it's 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 fascist all the way down. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I, I think we lo- I think we looked him up. Like Duque himself, he was he's he went to American University and Georgetown. So yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 the. Uh, the basic to to borrow a phrase from uh adam johnson on on citations needed he is definitely an alumnus of the raytheon school for oriental meddling uh, <laughs> which you know the u.s's primary output is you know leaders that will do whatever the united states and its various you know co- me- mega corporations want um but the other thing specifically though that protesters have been demanding is not just a you know withdrawal of the planned spending cuts which according to the reuters article that i took this from apparently appears likely to pass but to also propose like to support a big package of bills that actually like friendly legislators within Colombia's parliament have been trying to get introduced and trying to push forward along with the national strike committee which include, you know, things like a monthly basic income for 7 million poor families, 
for uh, I, I, I think they said just over a year because of, you know, all of the jobs lost, all of the damage done to the working class due to COVID. It's not even like a huge number per month that they're like asking for when it comes to, is that per family or is that per person? Is that, it's $235 a month. Yeah, it wasn't clear yet. So it's a monthly basic income of $235 per month, which even, I mean, obviously, you know, standards of living are different, but like, even if that's per individual, that seems so incredibly low, um, yeah, well, no, I mean, achievable. even if that's like a, if that's just like the grocery bill or something like that, it's good or whatever. But you know. sure, of course. Um, um, but yeah, they're also asking for things, you know, like free university education, which obviously should just be a thing everywhere, um, and financial aid for small businesses, which may not seem like you know the most pro worker reform, but when you consider that one of the things that made like you know big capital finance capital industrial capital specifically has used the economic devastation wrought in the covid pandemic to do has been to buy up or force out of business small competitors small shops to further consolidate their position and so obviously you know we're not out here crying tears for small business owners but like if you have you know like a, a rest, a family restaurant or something that hasn't gotten any assistance from the government, then you can understand the amount of people that potentially could get help by something like that, rather than what our government and the UK government have been doing as far as quote unquote COVID relief, which is mostly just gigantic handouts to all of the biggest corporations in, in both countries. And so, that's the sort of stuff that they're trying to hold up, you know, as an alternative way to respond to the COVID pandemic instead of the proposals of basically, what if we just stopped spending and started doing austerity? That'll be great, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's always the neoliberal plan. It works. It works here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling the austerity right now. Okay. Well, I you're mean- not a, you're not a person. You're a corporation is a person. That's who. Right. That's right. Uh, and, and so there, there was a quote in here from the president of the Central Union of Workers, uh, you know, the biggest labor union in Colombia that's part of the National Strike Committee, uh, and the president, Francisco Maltes, who said, quote, it is the responsibility of Congress to begin the procedure, the debate and the approval of the laws which seek social well-being for Colombians, which is a great sentiment. Uh, and I hope that they are able to use sustained pressure to try and force, you know, their parliament to actually live up to that because I don't think any of us have any illusions that their parliament is actually going to do that or that ours would on their own. Yeah. Cause you know, as we know, it's, you know, mass pressure is the only thing that ever actually gets these reforms done and considering and I will say for for the 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 workers on their behalf, just one day of peaceful protesting because this wasn't even like occupations or any of the the you know a bit more spicy tactics that came out in the uh, earlier protests. These are just the sort of it's just standard march through the streets in in a bunch of the major cities and. Uh, but the response to that from the government was they freaked out and threatened to deploy, I believe, something like 40,000 additional police 
throughout the country to to try and tamp down on these. So I, I think like it's pretty clear that the earlier protests made a pretty big uh, imprint on well, both the government and the and the masses down on in this Columbia. Too. I mean, they they immediately cracked down right. on this. Or, uh, Says that there were at least twenty four people killed. Well, that was that was during the previous protests. Oh, really? Yeah, that 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 okay. number they have in there for deaths is is during the and that twenty four number is wrong. Like that's the official number yeah. accepted like, by. Oh, I thought it, we. That's why it seemed like it could have been for this one because the number that we reported was like sixty or or eighty or whatever. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. No, that's that's sorry. That's Reuters. These they, yeah they, a, these fucking. You articles. don't trust Reuters. <laughs> yeah known u.s government asset reuters <laughs> um yeah reuters has pushed some really fucked up shit they're they're definitely a <laughs> if anybody ever wants to look into the press as an ideological state apparatus reuters is a good one to look at but no that the 24 number they cite in there is the officially accepted number of deaths okay during the the previous protests or as the colombian government called them riots of course uh, but yeah, as as you were alluding to, Lena, what, the actual folks on the ground, as well as uh, NGOs that were working in Colombia, had pointed out, I believe, between somewhere between sixty and eighty deaths, the vast majority mm-hmm. of which could be attributed right, right, to the Colombian police and specifically the SMOD uh, anti riot division. Right. Uh, but of course, you know, Colombia denies its involvement in, in quite a few of those and, and, and has only admitted to killing 24 of their own people during these largely right. peaceful protests. Well, you got you to gotta nip that shit in the bud. Like if people think they can march around uh, without <laughs> cops like beating the shit out of them or killing them, then what are they going to think of next? Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, <laughs> so these are good tactics, obviously. Like the, the initial like protests did a lot. And hopefully now that they've gone through this and seen that the government is not willing to work with them, these protests will continue and, you know, escalate. But speaking of, you know, escalating protests and getting stuff done, we have another international story this week, specifically out of India. And there isn't a a, a, there's not a you know, this isn't a a huge story or anything, but I I thought it was a great example of of worker power. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I mean, it, it really is kind of re- in relation to the farmer strike, which is, like, still kind of going on. I, there's not a ton of news about it. Uh, even I even follow a couple uh, places that specifically tend to report on on all of those things, and this is just, like, you know, maybe workers, like, inspired by by that at, at the very least. They would have to be just because of, of being, like, in that area and, and doing this really awesome action, but... In this, uh, basically, in this region, uh, a bunch of workers had been protesting for like better purchasing prices. Basically, um, we had explained in previous episode about how um, farmers can basically sell their um, their crops to the state, and they they've gone through this um, kind of like strike. This um, I guess it was really more of just like an active protest by all of the workers to get the uh, local government to increase the uh, priceage or the price that the government gives them for all of these all of these goods. Which is one of the things that the original farmers' protest was also. They're trying to keep that because um, originally 
a lot of the the national government is basically just trying to neoliberalize everything and make every make it so that small farmers can't like do their farming and so in order to do that there's um set pricing done by the state and and these really uh these these workers know how to get it done and get those prices uh where they need to be at least get them higher uh so that they can keep doing their farming yeah specifically this is uh sugarcane farmers in punjab who had protested for five days how low that purchase price was by blocking a highway and a railway line in the city of Jalandhar. And that, you know, in less than a week, managed to get extract from the government a basically about a 10% increase in the purchase price for their sugarcane, where the chief minister of Punjab, Amarinder Singh, agreed to their demands after they blockaded the, the highway and the road and the uh, railroad. They will be increasing the price that they're buying the sugarcane for, and in additionally, basically paying back pay within the next two weeks to a bunch of farmers that were owed by the state government. They and the the leaders of the farmers organization who had been leading these protests obviously are very excited about this, and and they specifically pointed out that now after these protests, these farmers in Punjab are now should be getting the uh, highest average state payment in the country for their sugarcane, and that this total like in total should increase farmers' earnings by about forty million dollars this year. So like that's a yeah it's pretty considerable yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely I mean this is wild just to think I mean getting a bunch of I mean so as an American it just seems wild to me the idea that like a bunch of farmers uh, that there are a bunch of farmers with small land uh, of right. their own tilling and that they would get together to do anything just because like uh, yeah it's unheard farming, of here in the United States yeah yeah. Because and that's the thing. It's like so. The facts of this story are, are are pretty cool in their own. But one of the things I found interesting about it is exactly what you were saying, Ethan. Is that difference between how agriculture is done here in the U.S. versus in a lot of other places in the world, like in India and, and a lot of other countries, you you still have a lot of small farmers, individual landowners who you might still use the term peasant for. Who, who, you know, they till their own land, they sell their products either to the state or to some, you know, major marketplace. Whereas here, you have the vast majority of the land owned by a few gigantic agribusiness conglomerates who are not just, you know, satisfied with owning all that land, but then specifically have manipulated U.S. labor and immigration policy so that they can bring in, <laughs> right, they bring in migrant workers who they then set up the policy so that like everything is aligned against those folks when they try and organize you know we've talked a million times before how fucked the system is towards agricultural laborers and how difficult it makes organizing and i think you know when you see stories like this you see why the agribusiness companies are so invested in this because if you add the workers where they're not afraid of you know being attacked by ice thrown out of the country or, you know, just racist groups in the U S of just random vigilante citizens. Like then, you know, if you actually had strong unions, you could have stuff like this. You could have workers, 
farmers, just you know, agricultural laborers specifically getting together and not only striking, but doing these sorts of direct actions. I think a lot of the ways that this actually has more come to pass is by the the consolidation into larger businesses. I mean, there are, it's just not possible for small farms to compete. It's one of the reasons why these, yes. uh, why these farmers fight to be able to sell their crops to the state specifically, because if they were left to the whims of the market, they would just get exploited by the imperialists and basically end up getting almost nothing thing for all of their work maybe even just barely enough to survive um and the only way that they're going to maintain any level of of sustenance is through that like state program and uh we just don't have that sort of ability here because like for one the state will never like set up a program like that we can't even we can't even do like a rent control program <laughs> oh i was just gonna say i mean like because it was in the it was in like the 20s and 30s that the u.s um like capitalists basically finished consolidating so finished consolidating agriculture across the country so we've had like a hundred years of it so like yeah. yeah it's just that that's part of why it's so like weird to see just because everybody for generations has been everybody here for generations has been used to the current order of things where it's just like oh yeah these massive monocrop like uh monocrop agribusinesses so yeah and they're destroying, yeah. and they're terrible, and they're destroying the planet. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's uh, our topsoil in the U.S. is trashed. Oh, yeah. and just one other real, one other quick thing. I was looking up what the uh, I was trying to find like an approximate uh, idea for how much sugar goes for, and a hundred kilograms of sugar on average for about twenty for for twenty twenty one is about uh twenty nine US dollars. So Okay, nice. And so yeah, so, so the, this So the farmers are getting five dollars? Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. the thing. Obviously, you know, like as you're pointing mm. out, they're 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 getting what, about a sixth of the price that they're yeah. they're uh, no, I mean like it's still definitely like it's still good. It's still good news that that's happening and that they've done this. Like, yeah, I don't I don't mean to uh it's just kind of a, no, a bigger thing about like, yeah. you know, global agriculture with capitalism and that kind yeah, of Yeah, no, a- absolutely. That's it's a it's a good perspective. And I do think it does point though to like one of the ways that you can relate the farmers strike here and their efforts, honestly, weirdly enough, kind of to some of the shit that Gorbachev did in the USSR because like one of the ways that he destroyed the USSR's economy was by slashing state purchases by 50%. Oh yeah. And so that's a big, and obviously not that India is socialist. They're not, but like the, the portions of the social democratic state that were put into place following the end of colonization that have been able to make it possible for some of these small farmers to eke out an existence are these state purchases. And it, and I think that the ability of them to continue to have their own land, to continue to strike and, and, and organize like this shows the importance of that and why what the farmers are fighting for is so crucial, even if it's just to, you know, maintain a, a certainly not ideal status quo. But right. Speaking well. of a not ideal status quo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the this we got the state of unionizing within the cafe industry, although Oof. we this got is, a couple this of is good also stories. A follow- I, th- I feel like this is, yeah, I mean, this is a follow-up, technically. We did talk about uh, this first one before, didn't we? I'm pretty sure Collectivo. Probably. Because this is, this, is a, this is only a follow-up because they've been uh, waiting for weeks for this, for this response. Well, oh, months for this response. 
Uh, that's probably why, why we can't quite remember because it's been a little while. That's probably why I forgot. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so the workers at Collectivo, the the coffee workers, have actually been uh, given their state recognized union, um, which actually then is the largest like coffee workers union in the United States. It's pretty cool. Um, the reason why it was you know put on hold. A while ago is because the election came out in a 99 to 99 tie with Oof. seven contested votes and then what how the the board ruled is they ruled that the union had won by seven votes which means that every single contested vote went for the union which i think is a pretty interesting uh pretty interesting fact that like you know really makes you think yeah, like <laughs> the union didn't have any, didn't lose any votes in contest. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, the Collectivo is complaining and moaning about how it's unfair that these votes were counted at all. Uh, honestly, a lot of very similar rhetoric we heard in some of the uh, electoral campaigns that <laughs> we hear in this country about votes that shouldn't be counted for whatever reason. But this is like a big win because like you were like you're saying like the the cafe industry in this country is almost entirely ununionized uh there the the few exceptions are are usually honest not necessarily union shops it's where like the workers just skip over that phase and go straight to a co-op because mm-hmm. like you'll see a lot of individual shops where that you'll see even like if a union drive starts up where the owners will just be like, fuck this, I don't want to deal with it. And they'll like shut the business down. Like here in Providence, like, like white electric, which is a uh, local coffee co-op had some similar issues where like they basically just got to the point where they're like, screw it. We'll, we'll buy out the company and we'll reopen it as a co-op. But this is, is big. Cause this is 21 cafes, production and bakery locations that are now all going to be under the same union contract. And, you know, obviously these workers are fighting for a lot of the same stuff that we always talk about, you know, job security, better pay, better Uh, working conditions, smaller cost of healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. But there was a couple of things specifically that they pointed out in these, because there's a couple articles we had in here from one from liberation news and one from in these times talking about, what specifically the Colectivo workers were were looking for, one being um, basically the ability for people who were fired during the pandemic to be first in line to be rehired because like many other industries, you obviously had a a ton of jobs shed during the, the first waves of COVID. And then like so many other companies, if they happen to decide, well, that worker was particularly troublesome in their organizing let's not hire them back so they've been very selective about who they're they're bringing back and and that was one of the things that so many of these workers wanted to address and fight with the 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 organizing effort but the other one that they point out in here was that the as far as reacting to covid with the working conditions during the pandemic that the company was not proactive at all in that and that the it's been essentially the workers forcing the company to put in any sort of safety concerns. They have a, a specific quote in here from a former Colectivo worker who was laid off during the pandemic, Robert Penner, who said, quote, almost every health and safety concession that the workers at Colectivo received during the pandemic had to be struggled for and demanded with a collective voice. 
Colectivo was not just ill-prepared, which was something common to businesses across the United States. Instead, Colectivo actively denied the need for health and safety measures, including proper (laughs) PPE, sufficient social distancing measures, and paid time off for those exposed to COVID-19. Classic piece of shit, boss. Sounds about right. That last one in particular, like obviously workers need all that, that stuff, but that's something that we've seen so many places where, especially in jobs like this, where they don't often give people paid time off because we live in a dystopian country where companies are not required to give people paid time off. But just telling somebody who has fucking COVID like, yeah, well, you can either get nothing and starve or you can pretend you don't have COVID and come into work and infect all your coworkers and all of our customers. Yeah, yeah I mean that uh, just that just reminds me of the um, the post that was going around the Facebook post that was going around a little, little uh, like last week from it was like some he's running for like Senate in Ohio or whatever and he was like posing with this with this woman who's like clearly looks ill and he's like she came into work even though she was sick that's like oh, yeah. the american spirit you love to see it ah, <laughs> like, no ah so <laughs> gross that's so i know fucked oh. Up. Oh. yeah but that's that's what that reminds uh. me of oh. yeah the uh, i'm sorry for that the death cult of capitalism. oh yeah had- <laughs> but so of course collectivo just to to recap on the organizing campaign Collectivo, despite their name, which is it's one of the weirder parts of this story, <laughs> I think is that having that's to say why we that. thought it was weird at first. Was we had yeah. to look into well, it, and it lumps in with like no evil foods. I was and just gonna say, yeah, big green NGO, whatever it's called that that Kimball Musk has, uh, where they, yeah, they have all these faux progressive values that go out the window the second somebody starts saying the word union. But specifically, Colectivo hired Labor Relations Institute, one of the biggest anti-union firms in the country, with their, of course, extremely dystopian name, uh, having captive audience meetings. And then, you know, additionally, you know, filing as many disputes and claims with the NLRB as possible to challenge these seven ballots that has left, you know, workers in limbo for almost six months now, because like you're saying, Lena, the election was held back in April and we only just now finally got the results of it for whatever, just you know, because of all the legal wrangling that Colectivo and delaying tactics that Colectivo was trying to do. But it does also seem like the really vicious anti-union campaign slightly backfired a little bit because workers specifically mentioned in in these articles that that was one of the things that did push some folks (laughs) who might've been on the fence onto the pro union camp. Oh, I just love that. It reminds me of, of it's like, you know, you're the reason why I became so right wing when it's like, but it's just the opposite. It's the, it's like, clearly you are the reason why I'm a fucking communist. Like, you know, if you motherfuckers had just been like, 25% 25% more generous. I I wouldn't be a fucking communist right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so Penner continued in, in talking about, you know, seeing the, the anti-union campaign, but also seeing the results that the workers were able to get when they were trying to get better safety measures put in place. And he mentions, by the way, that they, you know, they used a whole bunch of tactics during their drive to, to get both to, to, to get support for the union, but also to get the company to put in actual safety procedures in place where they were doing things like petitions, 
email blasts, social media campaigns, but also various forms of direct action in the workplace. And so he said, quote, this is essentially why we decided to seek formal unionization through the IBEW, because we realized our power and realized we could make necessary changes within the company to make our workplace safe and beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, struggle for more consistent scheduling and staffing, better wages for workers across the board, and an overall stronger communication structure. Hell yeah. And yeah, like absolutely. Like that's, like all of those things are huge problems, you know, within like food service in general. But I, 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 I mean, I haven't worked in the, the cafe industry. I know uh, I've heard plenty of stories about the company we're going to talk about in our next story, Lena. For, oh, yeah. <laughs> for, I was actually, I saw this was to- in here and I'm like, yeah, no, we can. Well, I, I was I just like, you know, John's not here for it. It's a little sad. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, before we get to before we get to the next story, I was uh, so I just looked at just now. I was looking at I was like Collectivo, where where did that come from? Um so I, and there's this whole thing that looks like they used to be owned by Mars Incorporated and then in 2010 they they are anymore, but um it says uh in 2013, they changed their name to Collectivo Coffee Roasters. Um, the name Collectivo is taken from the, quote, artful and funky buses used for public transportation across Latin America and the iconic part of everyday life they represent for everyday people. Um, and so the thing with the Collectivo says that those are kind of these, um, they're like privately, they're kind of like taxi, yeah, taxi bus things that were originally, um, I, for most of history and in a lot of places in Latin America still, they're... Um, kind of these privately owned buses that people use to get around because there's like zero infrastructure that right. it, because they've just been, these countries have just been looted their entire. So they've just been looted their, like the entire colonial um, period and they didn't have any infrastructure. So these people had to come up with their own like ways of collective organization or whatever. Anyway. Um, and so they're like, yeah, no, they're just these cool, funky buses that have like fun <laughs> colors and stuff. But it's they're just yeah. fun colors. There's there's no yeah. there's no implicate there's no implications of imperialism at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just one, but like one thing that I will say, especially though for the the colectivo workers, in both these articles, both the Liberation News one and the in these Times one, they were very open in in all the quotes that were in there about their desire for this victory to serve as an inspiration for other people in the cafe industry and to basic, to try and use the examples of what worked in their campaign, what didn't to try and help people across that industry get organized. And and obviously, you know, we see some stuff like that from every drive, but these folks were were really enthusiastic about that. And that was really great to see. I I mean, and there was a, the good quote in here from IB, EW, who they are now going to be organizing with in Local 494, who specifically said, quote, we hope the courage and hard work the Colectivo coffee workers put into this victory inspires others in the hospitality slash service industry to organize a union at their workplace. And that's exactly, you know, the stuff you want to hear because uh, I, I really love the the broader picture that folks are looking at here and not just saying we look forward to our first contract, which is well-deserved, but also to say that, like, you know, this needs to be the standard everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of bringing this standard to everywhere. <laughs> right. We got, uh, we got the Starbucks another story. story. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, th- this is uh, similar to some other union stories that we've covered when it comes to, like, uh, unions kind of being announced uh, and then there being, like, a... Um, I guess uh, in expectation that you're just waiting for the next step, which is the company's retaliation. Um, 
And I mean, this is exactly where where we are with this. But there's a there's a Starbucks in Buff in the Buffalo area, Buffalo, New York, where uh, they actually are going through this whole process. The one thing about this article is they mentioned like uh, the it does the bias thing again about like you know what is and isn't a union because it does say that like oh there were no there were no other unions before, and then later on in the article they're like but there was some IWW people who were organizing and right. like. Uh, but what anyway, besides that, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, the, go ahead. no, like you were saying, they, there's always this erasure of any like other organizing efforts that don't fit in with the narrative of the story or may not, you know, be the sort of thing that the, depending cause like the, the guardian article was a lot less helpful. I thought than the, in these times one on, I don't this. even think I read the guardian article <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> that's, that's fair. But yeah, so Obviously, I mean, uh, our, our listeners will be well aware of the strong anti-union stance that Starbucks has taken in the past. Their only uh, unionized yeah, by stores are me. right. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was clearly the most grievous uh, anti-union. I mean, that that was basically what I was alluding to. I was like, I, I know that my, my co-hosts have some some very <laughs> personal uh, interactions with this because the only you like. Existing unionized Starbucks are are like stores that are in airports, a, a couple of, of places like that. And there have been, as, as Lena was saying, attempts in the past, stuff like yeah, WW has tried to organize Starbucks before, but they have remained stubbornly largely unorganized. And the the thing that's that's really interesting about about this attempt is that you've got Basically, it seems like the workers here are going to try and do the, the Burgerville approach where they've got 50 workers on the organizing committee that, where they've, they've, they've got their union started up, the Starbucks, Starbucks Workers United. That was another thing I will say that is frustrating about the coverage of this is because yet again, they have the definition of a union, according to all these journalists, is when it's been approved by the NLRB. And I'm just like, no, you have... You have 50 people here who have all declared their intent to organize, which yeah, means you have a union. That's a real, that's a, that is a, actually a, a decent sized union. Yeah. 50 and workers. So they've, right. And they've already got representatives from at least 18 of the, the 20 stores in the region. And so, but acknowledging the, you know, massive corporate resources available to Starbucks and their history of success in anti union drives. They're going to start basically by focusing on the stores where they already have a majority support or near majority support to try and get NLRB recognition there. And they are starting by extending an olive branch, asking (laughs) Starbucks CEO to voluntarily recognize their union, which I'm sure none of them have any illusions about actually being accepted. I really hope not. I mean, I think it's more, yeah. it's more of a, it's a gesture to prove that they're, that to like get the workers on board with knowing that the, that Starbucks does not support them as people. Well, it's, yeah, they went, they went through all the, um, proper channels just right, to like yeah. check off the box. Like, Hey, well, Hey, we asked and, uh, we got right, exactly yeah. the response we thought we were going to get, but yeah. public image, especially right. in a place that is so full of like liberals. I mean, the people who work at Starbucks tend to be like the kind of people who, you know, Get that Starbucks image, but also, you know, they're workers, so they have, like, proletarian power and, and potential, and, you know, it's just a, you know, 
they also have to be kind of uh what is it what was it i was talking with someone earlier about um how you know you need to like make sure to reach out to every single person including you know the reactionaries just because if you don't they're gonna they're you're gonna get this weird bad liberal pr <laughs> yeah and and so of course you know they're They've specifically mentioned the things that they're organizing for are all of the things you would expect with Starbucks, uh, a low pay ceiling, because, of course, one of the things Starbucks, you know, always talks about is how they pay better than other things in the same business. But <laughs> they don't like a as you're saying, like they don't. But also like the ceiling for where that pay can go is incredibly low. They, they mentioned in, the, in one of these articles that somebody who had been working there for 17 years only made a dollar an hour more than, like, somebody who'd been working there for, I think, one year. Oh, God. Which, like... It was a difference between well, 17 and $18, just to, for the listener. The, that was the comparison yeah. that they used. So, they, so yeah. someone who's there for 17 years is paid $18. <sighs> yeah, which, that's, that's some bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and, and they had a, they had a, you know, they have a quote in here specifically from from one of the main organizers with the union, Alexis Rizzo, who said, "quote We're the ones who are the face of the company, doing this job every single day. We know better than anyone what we could do to make it better, not just for ourselves, but for our customers as well, because their experiences are suffering." And so, obviously, here at Work Stoppage, where we definitely believe the customer is almost always wrong, we don't really care about that. But I do think that is excellent messaging. That yes. that is 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 a really good job of understanding how the media will like try and twist anything, and that is a really good I think statement to put out for the press. Uh, so I, I think that they're already operating on a pretty good level as far as like knowing how to communicate like with the media, and so that's good to see. But one of the things they specifically highlighted that I thought was really interesting in here is obviously we've covered a ton of stories about the quote unquote labor shortage aka the wage shortage and there have been a million stories in the press about understaffing at specifically like fast food or or cafe places and one of the things they were talking about in here was the difficulties put on the staff caused by that uh, those understaffing issues because now you have fewer people trying to do the same work and oh so of course in response to their announcement of forming their union that sent management into a panic and they immediately started having like listening sessions <laughs> where they would call most of the staff together during work hours to try and, and be like, we see you, we, we hear you. We hear that you want to get paid, and yeah. uh, but we're, we're so, a family here. And right, right. this is this here's is some the, pizza. Um, this is like yeah. what the um, the appeal to like second chances and, and all that the the classic right. like give us give us another chance it's it'll be fine like we <laughs> promise i promise i swear i've changed baby please <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely this time will be different but the the thing that they pointed out though is that they did this during operating hours not you know either before or after or shutting down the store so all that did was exacerbate the understaffing problem because they took almost everybody out uh-huh. of yep. to to oh, be like for hey too. what what can we do to make you not organize yeah for training and so they they count the people who are being trained as as like full workers <laughs> well maybe they're trying to make the um, people who are left doing all the other stuff they're trying to make them resent the pe- the workers who 
got off to, uh, or who are in the training, and they're like, oh, those fucking assholes, they're just sitting, they just get to sit there, and I have to cover their asses. I hadn't actually thought about that, but that could very well be true. That would be a very insidious way to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, there's all sorts of ways of pitting workers against each other that they'll try. Um, no, I, mean, yeah, I, don't, I don't know that's a company that... lowering the work conditions, which is actually funny because they can actually make it harder to, to do that. And they think that that's still okay. They're like... They like they don't even like make things slightly better in the way to like create this illusion. They don't try at all. Ever. Yeah. Even when the, the company the company that John benefit them. The company right, that John Starbucks started does not have these values. <laughs> yes. But there is another quote in here from one of the organizers that I thought was great because obviously well you know, like we know we've talked about one of the things that Starbucks does as part of their messaging to try and combat unions is talk about how, oh, we do things like tuition assistance. We It's so much of a better place to work. You don't need a yeah, union. Right. And yep. I love the, the counter that, that one of the organizers mentioned here. They said, quote, Starbucks messaging implies they want a true partnership or explicitly says they want a partnership with workers. Their hiring and recruitment materials say they offer, quote, the opportunity to be more than an employee, but to be a partner, end quote. I think that if they really want to be our partners, then we should have a true partnership, which is the union, end quote, said right. uh, uh, Jazz Brizak, who is, is another one of the, the organizers. And I just thought yeah, that was right. like pitch perfect. No, that's great. Right. Well, I mean, and they, yeah, they could everyone. go even further. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, if you want to be a real partnership, let's talk uh like stock percentages and um like, you know, making this place a co-op. Exactly. Yeah. Worker right. ownership. Yeah. And well, and they call everyone partners and uh whenever you're fired, you're separated. You're never fired. <laughs> oh my god. Separated. No way. Jesus. No way. Hey, so god. uh could we're not seeing each other anymore, so can you not ask about uh, that other employee that you know? Yeah, we're just uh, things didn't work out with oh my us. God, <laughs> that's so bad. Ugh, I hate yeah. that. Like for, I, I thought calling down, like firing. First, it was like changing from firing to laying off, then downsizing, downsizing and then right sizing. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. what? I haven't heard that yep. one. That's fucked. That's oh a, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah. Damn, I hate that. But separation, Oof, yeah, that's extremely. And, yeah, and and so of course Starbucks has responded by with you know uh, by being very disappointed, <laughs> uh, where they said, "quote While Starbucks respects the free choice of our partners, we firmly believe that our that's work environment, coupled with our outstanding compensation and benefits, makes unions unnecessary at Starbucks. We respect our partners' right to organize, but believe that they would not find it necessary." given our pro partner environment. So Bullshit. this sounds to me like the, <laughs> that um, makes me angry. this sounds, this sounds exactly <laughs> like the, the, um, jokes you'll hear about like, that is like, like Twitty, like Twitter jokes about like people in poly relationships, like who, like di- <laughs> specifically yeah. like shitty dudes who are just like trying to be like, use that to be abusive and stuff. It's like, okay, well, I mean, obviously you can do what you want, but like, I just felt like this was a really like, open environment where we could all feel safe and so i'm just kind of really disappointed with this whole thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean well i think where you're going with it is it is yet again an attempt by by starbucks corporate to gaslight their workers into thinking that they don't need a union exactly yeah well yeah i mean 
I don't know. I I mean, I've had people be like, "Oh, this is a great job" or whatever, but like, I don't know. It just it it never like squares with my experience at all. Like nobody was like even people who said it was like a good job for them were totally miserable the entire time. Like absolutely, I, and it's like I I don't, I don't think that being miserable means it's a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just so, that just reminds me of again like sorry I just keep bringing memes. It just reminds me of that one meme where it's like um, it's like oh no I'm a like I I, I can do um oh god what was it. I was I brought it up and I can't remember it. No, it was uh, it's the meme. It's like oh yeah, no night shift totally works great for me. And it's like Jason twenty three, and it's like one of the like ghoul enemies from Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like no, I think this job right. is great actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this story is is going to be ongoing. Uh, so they've they've got their their union started, but it's going to be a long fight to try and get. Starting with just a few stores, but then you know trying to expand this. So I'm sure we'll 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 have a lot of follow up stories over the coming months to to see how this goes. But Uh I think they've already done a great job with their messaging on this. So I think they're starting off you know on a really good good point. And and so obviously we wish them the swiftest success possible. Yeah. And speaking of people who have had some recent swift success, (laughs) our final story this week. Yeah is on some window washers in, in Minnesota. Minneapolis, more specifically, but yeah. That's, yeah, so... It's the only part that counts. Obviously, like, um, folks have seen, and we're going to see how many times I can say the word obviously in this episode, is going to have, like, a running counter going. But, <laughs> Just put in a ding um, every time he does it. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We need we need a listener to come in and, and, and inform us. <laughs> <laughs> but, so... Window washers who, you know, when you're thinking of big cities, one of the more dangerous jobs outside of you know, those pictures of people, you know, steel workers out on, like we're five people on standing on a beam, yeah. right, is the people who have to go up on those, uh, depending on, you know, whether there's like a, a, a poor, a movable platform or just some kind of belay rig. And go up and actually keep those buildings clean is has got to be like you know one of the most dangerous jobs of of any city employees. These are people who are rappelling and, up and down buildings cleaning windows. So yeah, and it's and so these workers dangerous. Yeah, who are who are unionized with SEIU Local Twenty Six out of Minneapolis went on strike on the sixteenth of this month asking for better pay and specifically because of how dangerous the work that they do is asking for the state to insist that their employers, because most of these folks work through various cleaning contracting organizations, but to make sure that when these contracting agencies hire new people to do these jobs, that they ensure that they are forced to ensure that these workers are properly trained so that they don't get themselves or other folks killed in this incredibly, you know, dangerous job. Mm-hmm. And after only, uh, I believe, ten days out on strike, they they were able to to come back to the right. the bargaining table victorious because because like obviously, while the assertion by most of these companies is that oh, they're just cleaning windows. That's not a skilled trade. But you don't see a shitload of people <laughs> lining yeah, up out to, the door. To hang from to, a, the top of a building. Yeah, Right, exactly. Well, 
I, I think that one of the things, the impetus that, that really brought this strike on was the, 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 um, the company's responses to their demands, which was the training program to make sure that, you know, people are safe on the workplace, um, as well as the, uh, a raise, um, and, and the company came back with no training program and a 30 cent, I think I'm pretty sure it was 30 cent raise as the, as the, the, oh, this is what we'll give you instead. And they were just like, uh, fuck no. And they immediately went out on strike for 10 days, basically. Yeah. The, the workers contract had expired last year and there had been negotiating efforts to, you know, go for a new long-term contract and, and get improvements. But when the pandemic hit, that threw everything out of whack. And so they agreed to a temporary, like, pause in contract negotiations and a $1 raise. So, Dan, I think you're being a little uh, nice to the companies when you say that everything went a little out of whack. The, no company wanted to negotiate at the beginning of a pandemic when everyone was being sent home and being told that workers were heroes. No company I know has ever, had even got a contract. It was actually a resounding decision by all business owners through the, through the entire thing to postpone negotiations. I actually don't know anyone who like we've been i've been reporting since near the beginning of the pandemic and i don't think that we have any examples of like of of like bargaining for good contracts near the beginning of the the pandemic besides maybe from nurses yeah i think no i think you're right i think i I think yeah i think nurses might be the only ones but i mean to your point that really does show it's like the the capitalists are organized so you know (laughs) Yeah, uh, we probably should be too. But one of the things that the the workers specifically point out is that while ob- like I, what I would think would be clear to anybody who's ever watched somebody doing something like that, it may be quote unquote just cleaning windows, but doing that when you're like a thousand feet up in the fucking air or however tall these buildings are, <laughs> probably not that tall, but <laughs> several hundred feet in the air. Uh, that's a, a little bit different because it's not just that, you know, it's a scary place to be that high in the air, but the wind currents up there, they included some videos in, in some of the more perfect union quotes I've seen about this that are fucking terrifying <laughs> where there's like platforms that these guys were on getting, getting like hurled against the side of the platform or the side of the building by, by these heavy winds. And so the amount of training these folks need to go through to be safe in the first place is huge. And yet there was no standard by which folks were supposed to be trained. And so these companies were just trying to hire the, and, you know, get people out there as, as inexpensively as possible and sending people out there without sufficient training. And then during when the pandemic was at its worst, they also basically just changed these folks job descriptions and said, okay, in addition to cleaning the windows, in a lot of these offices that have been forced to be closed because there have been COVID cases, we're also going to have you go in and clean the offices <laughs> and disinfect them. Yeah. Well, and also I think and, that you pointed something out, which was really interesting because of that danger level with the wind and all that, like they're actually with this new contract, which they struck for 10 days to get, have get paid the second most of any like window cleaners besides the people like just short of the people in New York City. And you were mentioning that like we're a little surprised that it wasn't Chicago because that just seems incredibly dangerous. Like if it's like, I mean, the wind and cleaning windows up high, that sounds terrifying. 
Yeah, so I think clearly one of the takeaways from this is that the window washers in Chicago should also go on strike. Uh, <laughs> but they, because one of the things they mention in here is specifically frustration that despite the level of training, experience, and knowledge you need to do this job and how dangerous it is, it's not classified as a, as a, a skilled trade by the state. And so that was really one of the things that they were pressing for. And obviously we know that like the whole division between skilled labor and unskilled labor is bullshit designed by capitalists to split workers uh, apart from each other. But that being said, like it, it, this is already a terrifying enough job for me to envision doing, but then the idea that they're just hiring people and being like, yeah, you got to clip on to this thing. You'll figure it out. And just sending them out with no training or, or having training that varies company to company. I would absolutely want to go on strike if that was the fucking situation, because it's not like that. Any sort of safety issue on here isn't just something that affects like, you know, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Like that could, kill everybody involved and so uh it's honestly i think it should be an embarrassment to uh the the city government of minneapolis or the state government of minnesota that they didn't already have a requirement for safety certification but thankfully thanks to these workers going on strike we are now going to get that as as lena mentioned in addition to the training program they are now going to get a 12 percent wage increase and by the end of their contract will now be earning over 30 dollars an hour uh and additionally their new contract is going to get them more sick days and disability pay and so this is i think one of the most successful strikes that that we've reported on recently and so hopefully, uh, again, this serves as, as, as future uh, inspiration for, for more folks in, in similar difficult industries like this that clearly, you know, don't get the level of respect they deserve for, for the difficulty inherent in these jobs. So I was I was trying to look up um, more. I was trying to like do some uh, not not fact checking, but like get a little more in, get a little more knowledge about uh, window washing while you were talking there, because that apparently is my thing here today but like i found this i found this interesting <laughs> article um it was it was just talking about uh they were interviewing um in 2014 on one world trade center um the like a scaffold broke um for some window washers uh and but they managed they they survived and the guy like one of the guys who was on there he um he credited to this to this interviewer they said he says the reason he's still alive is because of his rigorous union safety program um, and the union window washers are required to complete 800 hours of training. Um, and according to a union rep, more than 70 non-union window washers died on the job between 2008 Oof. and 1983, when only three unionized window washers died in that same time frame. Um, so, well, there you go. And I, I just mean, and I thought it was interesting because I followed this one link um, to the like CBS local news in New York when this happened, and they interviewed the guy. And union doesn't appear in there, so. Uh, in in the interview with him, so I'm wondering if there was some editing, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's some pretty stark evidence right there of the necessity of, of unions in all uh, forms of employee, but especially dangerous ones. And, yeah. And there was a, a great quote in here from one of the bargaining team members and union steward, Eric Crone, who said, after the last year, all essential workers deserve more. It's important that all the workers who kept our state running during COVID 
COVID fight for what we deserve. Our strike showed that no one will just give anything to us. You have to stand up and fight for what you deserve. I hope our strike and our strong new contract show other essential workers that when you band together and stay the course, you can get results. That's right, King. That's right. Yeah, and that shit rules. And we need... That, that I hope that's been the theme of this week's episode has been, you know, the need to carry the struggle on from the immediate state. And it's been really great to see from, you know, window washers, cafe workers to people across different industries. I think are that's, that's a reflection of some at least slight increases in some class consciousness going up over the last couple oh, of years. Yeah. You love Speaking to see it. Of, we've literally got a class consciousness meme as our first meme in the meme review. So <laughs> that's right, let's head folks. on over there, right? You know, when I when I am talking about this show <laughs> when I'm talking about this show to people, the thing I the thing I always say is that their uh their transitions between uh topics, A plus, chef kiss. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you. We appreciate that for our our never ever awkward uh segues, transitions, <laughs> and uh Etc. Yeah, right. <laughs> as well, I run out of a third word to throw in there. Why I forget the third one? Uh, when <laughs> when you become class conscious is the tagline of this one. Uh, it's just like a. It's literally like, uh, what is it called? It's like what's that? The Pixar movie. It's a minion. The yellow beans. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a minion. Yeah, minion. That's what it is. Uh, with yeah, you know, with like because we play fall, fall, fall guys. It's just like a fall bean, but <laughs> shorter. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's just like, it just says mischievous worker on like this Halloween costume hanging on a rack. And this guy's face is very happy. He just, he seems very thrilled to be a minion. I love, I love the knockoff, um, like knockoff Halloween costumes where they don't have the, uh, they don't have the rights to like the name. So they just make it in all but name and then just come with a fun name. I mean, no, there's, there's so many good ones. I, I'm, there was like, uh, I think my favorite was like spooky horror, ma- uh, horror matriarch, and it was um, like a Morticia <laughs> Adams <laughs> costume. I'm trying to remember the one what they had what they had for uh, Beetlejuice. There was one that was really funny. It was like Demon Bug or something. I don't remember, <laughs> but no, That's I love funny. those. Yeah, but but I appreciate this one because you know, yeah, when when the the company starts using some underhanded tactics against your union drive. Maybe time to become a mischievous worker. <laughs> That's right. And so the next one is, isn't, there isn't, it's, it's not really, I guess, a meme so much as it is just a very good piece of advice from Twitter where somebody's responding wow. to this tweet that said, <laughs> unpopular opinion, the best thing young people can do early in their careers is to work on the weekends. And so this person, Carrie Hernandez, is responding. The best thing you can do early in your career is realize no company will ever care about you. And you should work as little as you need to in order to get by and not give them even one extra second of your life. That's right. That's right. I wish that I no, uh, had gotten that understanding. I, you know, that's something that they that you should teach your children. You know, one time I tried to give a t- in the middle of COVID. I was at the grocery store. I stopped. I was like, and I, I tried to tip this person and they say that they won't take the tip and they and I'm like well you should take it anyway or whatever and like you, and they're just like no I'm not allowed and I'm like you should what I, I don't know that shit fucking like, me well, up do you see any cops <laughs> around yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> no but that's the thing that's what the panopticon does exactly yeah. you don't even, even if you don't know that it's on it makes you think they're always watching well no that's it's, why it's, yeah, so it's the cop it's the cop <laughs> inside your head yeah exactly no i mean i yeah. get it i i was a when i was a barista um 
it was like a really understaffed place, so I was usually the only one there, but there was a camera up above, and I would get calls every so often um, from the owner who would tell me, he's like, hey, you need to stop sitting down, and I quickly discovered that he had the feed from the camera connected to his computer at home, so. <laughs> wow. So I get it. fucked up. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. That's terrible. All right, so this next one is a mural from, I believe, Argentina? Yes. Uh, which is a very interesting... I actually looked it up because I was looking up the the, ta- the tagline on it, which is actually... Uh, how do you pronounce that? Lady Umedales. Yeah. yeah. I believe. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. So. Wetlands Law Now, basically, <laughs> is, 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 is what it's saying. Because this is a mural, like you were saying, from Argentina... And it's in response to some recent class war by Capybara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I missed right. that story. What? That's oh, right, right. I remember that. We yeah. didn't put that in here. Well, uh, mistake. Well, because it's it, it's hard to explain it as a labor story when yeah. it's a story about animals. <laughs> I yeah. mean, animals are workers. Are wonderful, animals are but. workers too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they like beheaded, they've beheaded this person they've got like a head on a pike these these capybaras are tough creatures (laughs) yeah and and so for the background on this there's been a recent spate of these gated communities that have been built in argentina for the rich there that have been built on wetlands that are their traditional habitat of Capybaras, which are who are protected by law uh, in Argentina, and there's been all these big complaints from all the people that live there about, oh, they're shitting on my lawn, oh, or they're, they're they were there <laughs> they first. scared my dog, <laughs> which they I'm like bathe in the what pond. Ca- <laughs> I'm like what. What kind of shitty dog do you have that's getting scared of a capybara? They're like the chillest animals on earth to the point that they are a meme for them. They get along with everything. Yeah. Like, it sounds like your dog sucks. I like, saw that, one like, in real life one time, and it was super chill. It, it was like it was a straight up wild capybara. Like, it was very chill. <laughs> I was very surprised. Yeah. But, but yeah, so there's been a... a, a a bit of a, I guess, a meme going around, especially in in, in Argentina and, and you know Latin America, about class war by the capybaras because of the the all the annoyance that they're causing all these rich assholes who built their condos on you know their their land, and they're uh-huh. now saying that you know, oh, our land's being invaded by capybaras, and it's like, um, yeah. you're the invader. Capybaras were there first. <laughs> Yeah, so I really like this mural that's basically, you know, depicting the uprising of the capybaras against the the rich folks. Yeah, you definitely have to that's get right. Discord for this one. Um, this next one is a weird like text, like with a fish in the background. There's something sort of fishy about this whole capitalism thing. Seems like it doesn't benefit me or my friends at all. And then you can just barely see the two thinking emojis in the background. That's my favorite detail. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I just like this one because of how happy the fish is <laughs> <laughs> when you're like juxtaposing that with, oh, actually, the entire socioeconomic system we live under is horrific and doesn't benefit 99% of the people I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's a little simpler. It was just like a bold text on a cool background. And so I like it, though. It's got a cool aesthetic to it's it. It's aesthetic. Yeah, no, that's yeah. important. 
Oh. And then the last one uh, that we have is a from a, a manga of a teacher pointing at an empty bookshelf with uh, explaining something to two children. And it says, uh, the little speech bubble says, uh, this is where we keep capitalism's solution to global warming. And it's very nice. It's very simple. There are no solutions. <laughs> capitalism provides no solutions. I, I, I yeah, just love no, this one. I mean, you're, we're, we're going to be hearing about how we need to go. I mean, we already have been hearing about how we need to go back into Afghanistan to get the lithium for the <laughs> for the electric cars that are definitely the solution to global warming. You guys, trust us. We don't need to make any radical alterations to anything that we do. We just need electric cars. You know what's <laughs> crazy about getting resources is you can also get them by paying for them if they were a national <laughs> nationalized resource. Like there, there are technically still you know the ability to, you know give the workers their their uh you know their money <laughs> so this uh like, this this you don't this economic to, system like, it's funny it's funny that you'd think that you'd have to like invade a country to get the resources because i'm pretty sure that <laughs> well you can't buy them, them from the taliban <laughs> <laughs> then the u.s might be supporting violent far-right <laughs> groups exactly and we, we couldn't do that exa- imagine what would happen if that was the case <laughs> It'd just be the U.S. would never do something like that. Oh, my oh God. hold on! I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, <laughs> I'm getting some information from the producer. Turns out that's all they do. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, wait, yeah, right. <laughs> See our previous meme review where we talked about how indirectly, at least, the U.S. created the Taliban in the first place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big. Yeah, but, big system. Um, all right. No, I. Uh, oh, I was just gonna say, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've cool got to, with this economic system. It it'll definitely it'll be it'll be fine for the climate change. You just just slap some paint on that bad boy. Everything everything will be fine. <laughs> this economic system can hold so many failures. <laughs> it's true. Four centuries worth. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> this yeah this mine this mine in. Uh, the Congo can hold so much uh, lithium that we need. It's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Ethan, I uh, want to thank you for filling in for John. I really yeah. appreciate you coming by. Where, where, where is he again? Oh, he's actually around. He just is not. Oh, he's, he's got just stuff, not he's feeling got stuff good. to do. He's got That's... stuff to do. You know, sometimes. Hey, it, I get know, it. You know, it, it's. That's actually, why we it, didn't. It, it is work. Well, that's why we haven't had an uh, Invent the Future episode in, like, two months. So well, I get and it. And I was going to ask you about that, like... It's we, coming back. It's we, coming back. Yeah? Promise? Yeah, no, we have a... Uh, yeah, no, we uh, we just recorded uh, in person for the first time, which is... Uh, Ooh. I mean, it's the first Invent the Future that was recorded in person. I mean, we recorded most of... We recorded all of uh, Pearl's Pod in person. But no, anyway, we're back. Uh, we'll be back. I just have to edit it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll be back and there will be more coming. Um, yeah, we just had to work out, what's, we just had to work out some stuff. Yeah, can we get if the, it's, if it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Uh, Our next episode that's, that's going to be coming out is about, um, happiness. Just like oh. how that's measured and, uh, quantified and how, uh, being happy is actually a capitalist ploy. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, just, but the way... Right. But I mean, it's talking about the idea of like we're talking about the idea of like self help and all of that nonsense. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're gonna hear all about the Sigma male grind set then. We do talk <laughs> about monk mode a little bit, um, <laughs> but we also uh, we also talk about um, Mike Rowe and his uh, sweat oh, pledge nice. and stuff. That kind of yeah. So anyway, 
it, it was just kind of, it, it was fun, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be out soon, so everyone, uh, everyone hang in there. Um, right, and And, so and then we just released a new red, pod, yeah, wherever, wherever podcasts are sold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's anchor.fm slash invent the future, um, and then we're on Twitter at proletarian info, um, yeah, but then we'll be, um, yeah, and then we just released a, a new Red Game Table episode, um, and I'm going to get off my ass and do another episode of my horror podcast, so yeah, lots of good things well, happening. And I really, and if any of the, the people on Red Game Table are listening, you know, please set more time aside. I, I, need, I need more <laughs> of that content. It's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> well, hopefully Nick is uh, starting school soon, so he'll know what his uh, schedule is like. Don't. Yeah. Well, I guess on that note, uh, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks for asking me. It's always a pleasure. And I guess on that note, you know, join the Patreon uh, if you'd like more content, uh, some cool episodes. uh, Become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. Give a five-star review to Invent the Future and then say, uh, workstoppage sent me. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, only, right. give, only give a five-star review if you think it's five-star content. I don't want to artificially inflate our numbers. No, you should totally... No, don't, don't listen. Just inflate the numbers. I also please, don't know anything about SEO, so... Uh, please figure out how to game the system so you can actually give a six-star review. <laughs> that's right. I yeah. know we have some incredibly intelligent listeners who can actually probably figure out how to do that. Yeah. And if you can, please tell us how. We've got all these <laughs> hackers that are doing... They're just, like, shutting down pipelines and shit instead of doing interesting things like uh fucking up the um iTunes the Apple podcast algorithm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh follow us on Twitter and bother Dan cuz Dan is available via Twitter via our, our uh You got Twitter. him back. Uh, you got him back it's, on. It's uh work stoppage pod uh, or at work stoppage pod. And uh yeah. Uh, listen to Red Game Table, uh, and don't listen to BB Lettuce because John's not here this time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> listen to BB Lettuce, and we will see you next time. As always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Bye. Solidarity, everybody. <laughs>